saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood. Amen. Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teachings and interviews. Our goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Well, everyone, welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. And we are going to continue, as we've been doing this month, basically looking at the thread that runs all the way from Genesis through the Bible of the two competing worldviews or world systems that run through humanity and are still in effect today. And we will basically want to eventually settle on the corruption that's crept into the church. And so we did a little background last week, if you remember, I talked about um, about the the conflict begins in the garden officially between the between well, after the serpent deceives Eve and Adam partakes of the fruit and God comes and he brings about judgment he gives judgment for the man there's one for the woman and then when he goes to the serpent his final ending is what's known as a proto-evangel, is the first prophecy of the coming of Christ, where it says that he will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed, and the, the woman's seed will bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. And that enmity has, that thread, that war has been waging between the seed of the woman and the seed of the enemy ever since. Uh, since day one, it's been going on. So, this is the battle that we're in. And you see that thread running all the way through Scripture. And what we're going to really do at the end of this is I'm going to show you how that enemy has infiltrated the body of Christ, the church today. But in order for me to do that, I have to give you somewhat of a historical background and context. And please, as you're listening to this, don't accept it because I say so. You can go back, read up on it, and vet it for yourself so you'll be able to see for yourself. And at the end of this, uh, either the end of this month or beginning of October, we're going to have on an author, Kathleen Galt, and about her book, Phoenix Rising, 
which kind of corresponds to what I'm doing here. In fact, that was the inspiration for what I'm doing now. Um, when I went through a book and I began to realize, okay, it, it kind of gave me a sense of how to put this together. So that you can see that common thread, because that's what we're looking at, the common thread running through scripture, even to this very day. See, because what happens is you got, the, you know, we learn nothing from history. And so generations keep repeating the same thing. The devil's got the same old bag of tricks. But we keep falling for it because for whatever reason, there's a disconnect between one generation and the next generation. And somehow either the older don't teach the younger generation things that have happened or vice versa, there's a rejection. It may be a little bit of both. And so we're doomed to kind of cycle and recycle the same uh, mistakes over and over again. And that's why the enemy hasn't had to change his tactics, the same old bag of tricks that he's always been using. So we looked at the, uh, the, the first sign of this enmity between the seed of the woman. And by, by, the way, by the way, that seed is singular, not seeds, seed referring to Christ. Obviously, he's the seed of the woman that will bruise the serpent's head. However, when I started out here, I, I was Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, towards the end of the, of the chapter that was read for scripture reading. The reason why I had that one read to you is because... The serpent appears again in chapter 12. If you go back before verse 13, the serpent appears, he's referred to as a dragon or as a serpent, but it's the same one that was in the garden. He leads a rebellion in heaven, gets cast out. And, and but before that, you see the woman with the sun and the moon and the stars, which is Israel, giving birth to the man-child that shall rule all nations with the rod of iron. So the serpent was waiting there to destroy the seed of the woman. And of course, he couldn't do it because it was Christ. And we know how that story ended. Okay. But when you follow it through, the, th the thread follows through the 13th, uh, from the 13th verse on to the rest of the chapter. When you follow it all the way through, that when now the dragon, after he wages war in heaven, he gets kicked out. Now he realizes he's, co he's come to earth. He has but a short time. And what does he do? He decides to persecute the woman. Okay. Uh, which is going after the, 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 the Jewish nation. But also he's going after the, the, the man child. The, 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 he can't get to the man child, but he's going after the, 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 the rest of the seed of the woman. And that harks back to the, comes back to the church, which is also the seed of the woman. So he can't get to the woman. He can't get to the man child. He persecutes the woman. Can't get to the man child, so he said he went out to wage war on the seed, all the other seeds that are the remnant of this woman. There's the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And there's been this constant conflict and power struggle and battle in the world since then. And Christ eventually will return and establish his kingdom and triumph over the, over the enemy. But first, he had to do the redemptive work. And that's the only thing that has held God's hand back from, from judgment, is the redemptive work of Christ. So that God can call out a people for himself, out of humanity. And once those people have been called out, and God only knows the, knows the deadline when the last person gets in. I don't know that. Nobody else knows it, but God knows it. And when that time is up, that's when God will begin to, to deal in finality with the serpent and the seed of the serpent. But 
I don't want to. I don't want us to think of it as when I talk about the seed of the serpent. It, it's not just physical form. And we're looking at some of the physical forms. We did. We did that last week when we talked about Cain and Abel. Right, Cain slew Abel. Abel was righteous. Cain was not. One worshipped God the right way, the other one did not. And the one who did not kill the one who did do it the right way. So from day one, you see, as soon as they have children, the conflict goes on. And we're going to look at some other, other forms of that conflict in terms of personality. But we're not going to just stop with the personalities. Because it's not so much the personality as it is the philosophy. When I say the same old bag of tricks, the devil has the same deception the same ideologies that he's always had. But he uses people, obviously, to push it. And that's why we have to talk about other human beings. Because some of the... The, the Bible says the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. So he has some of the people in his grip. And those he has in his grip, he uses them to, pro, to push his own philosophical agenda. And to deceive the whole world into worshipping him and, other, and anything but God. Or he'll see something that's a true faith, like Christianity, true biblical Christianity, and then he seeks to corrupt it. That's his modus operandi. Creating false, false worldviews, and then if I can't, and the one that, the one that has a, the proper worldview, I'm going to corrupt it. So that it can't, I don't care what, what they tell you, but they won't tell you about Christ. And so what we have today, in a lot of places, is a Christless Christianity. And particularly in the Pentecostal churches, we have a Christless Pentecost, a Pentecost without Christ. See, the devil doesn't care what you preach and what you teach. Just don't talk about Christ, the real one. And that's, that's his issue. But with Christianity, he has to get us away from that. So he, he has diverted us into a whole lot of other things, which we will get to. But I want to lay some background here so that you can see the historical context of this, this has been going on over and over and over and over and over again. It's been going on. So what we're going to look at uh, today, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to necessarily go into all the scriptures and the stories about it. I'll tell you the general area that you can find the stories in. So you could take some time to go back and read and study it for yourself and see for yourself. Like I said, don't, you know, vet me. Don't, don't be afraid. Now, I talked a little bit about um, Nimrod in, in the book of Genesis, uh, the mighty hunter against God. He was the beginning of the mighty men. And Nimrod wanted to build this ziggurat or tower straight into heaven. Yes, ziggurats are high up off the ground, but they're considered to be gateways to heaven. That's what the ancients believed. Whether they were or not doesn't matter. It's what the people believed about them. Okay, and they believe that they were gateways to, to God or some way into heaven. And what you have under Nimrod is the first world, and that's about the, I believe it's the 11th chapter of Genesis. You have one world government and one world religion. This is what Nimrod was forming. Was, how do you know? doesn't say that. Well, it's there by implication. Let's take a look. The earth was of one language and one peoples, and then Nimrod comes along and says, listen, we're, we don't want to get scattered across the face of the earth. We want to remain one body, which means world, one world government. So let's all come on, let's build a tower to heaven. Let's have our, develop our, our own religion. Let's, let's build a tower to go into heaven. But they want to get to heaven their way, not God's way. This is man-made religion. 
man determining what the gateway to heaven is going to be, right? And so they build the ziggurats, and you see them to the, even to this day in some parts of the plains of Shinar, which is um, modern-day Iraq and Iran. You'll see almost Iran was Persia, and um, Iraq was Babylon. So there's a lot of history in Iraq. Hopefully, a lot of it wasn't destroyed in the in the, in the Gulf War. But hopefully, but if if not, you should be able to go over there and see some of these things as a tourist. But having said that, so this guy Nimrod had fought, had this world government. He had this world religion, and the world was going to be one. And God is like not happening because God has His own plans. And see, man works His plan, but then God overrides man. He says, no, I first I want to scatter them in the earth and there will be no world religion. And so, uh, and because it's the wrong one. So God scatters them and confuses the languages, scatters, and then he scatters them across the face of the earth. And that, to, and that was designed to slow the spread of evil. It was not time for a one world ruler or one world leader. It was not time for that. That was way ahead of schedule. But God's going to keep his own schedule in his own time because he wants to do a redemptive work in the earth. And so God scatters him across the face of the earth. Now, enter Abraham. Abraham. So God finds Abraham. He chooses him for whatever reasons. God chose Abraham. And God says, you know, I know Abraham will listen to me and he will do what I tell him. Which Abraham did. Um... And having said that, let me mention some things about Abraham. Abraham, this, he shows up in about the 12th chapter. 12-1 is when God calls Abraham. After chapter 11, then we move to chapter 12, God calls Abraham. Um, Abraham was not, was not born uh, tr worshiping the one true God. He was from a pagan family. They had their idols and their gods, etc. as well. And so God called him out. Right, it's like people. I always tell people George Washington was British. He wasn't American. Uh, when he fought the Revolutionary War, he wasn't. He was a, a British subject in rebellion. Then he became Americans afterwards when the country formed. But he didn't start out that way. He started out as a British, as a soldier in the British Empire. Just a little side note there. So Abraham, God calls him. Twelve, chapter twelve, verse one. He says, come out from among your family and from your people. God calls him out because he's establishing the seed of the woman in the earth. Right? God's going to continue to establish it. There were others. There was, there was Noah. There was, um, there was Methuselah. There was uh, Enoch. And there were others. So, but now God's going to start to build a nation. So it moves from an individual and he starts, he starts expanding it. You know, first, I got to build a nation. And so he calls Abraham out, and Abraham becomes the father of many nations, as God said. And he said, through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And that blessing comes down to us through Christ. And remember, I talked about the worldviews. I talked about pantheism, which you find that God is everything. Everything is God. God is in the table, the chair, etc. Everything is God, and God is everything. And... You find that in Buddhism, you find that in Star Wars with the Force, and these are where you find the, that particular type of pantheistic uh, worldview. Then the other worldview is Hinduism. You find it not is is uh, polytheism. Sorry, polytheism, many gods, 
And I said Hinduism because that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, but they're not the only ones that are polytheistic. There are many religions on the earth that are polytheistic, multiple gods. If you go back to the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the North gods, they had a god for practically everything. Okay, and so this is what you have. That's Hindu, uh, that's uh, polytheism, many, many gods. And then you've got uh, uh, pantheism. Then there's atheism, which says there is no God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's atheism. So you got pantheism, polytheism, atheism as worldviews. Then you also have animism, which is another worldview. And in an animistic worldview, it's about, it's about spirits that can inhabit objects, spirits that can inhabit... Um, trees and totem poles you see that with native americans you see that in voodoo you see that in uh in occult practices you know like i said you see in the movie the doll moves his eyes and this doll has a spirit in it and it, you know transfers you know chucky and all that kind of stuff the spirits and some of them are good some of them are evil in some of the african religions uh, beliefs for example you know you let's say you drown in the water they say that the, the spirit of the water you know overcame you it's not that you just drown, you know, because you can't swim. But evidently the spirit is in the water, whether you want to call it a demon or just a spirit or whatever. Uh, in, some, in some religions, a woman can't conceive a child. Then they'll say, oh, your dead uncle is keeping you from, from having a child. You know, and so you now you got to do some voodoo ritual or whatever uh, to get that mojo off of you, so to speak. Um, that's animism. That's a whole animistic worldview. And uh, anything like ancestral worship, that's animism. That's not a Christian worldview. It doesn't fit in the Christian milieu. And so these are the various worldviews that are out there. But now through Abraham, God brings in the monotheistic religions. And that came into us down through Abraham. And there are three main monotheistic religions, uh, which is Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, there are three monotheistic religions. And the one common denominator with all three of these religions is Abraham. We all revere Abraham. And I want to throw another, a fourth one in there. It's not as big, but it's still there. You go into the Caribbean and different places, you find Rastafari or Rastafarianism. Um, that's kind of a mixture, but um, but yes, they're they're also monotheistic and, and believe in the and the God of the Bible and Abraham and also revere Abraham as well, etc. So I want to make mention of that. So you've got three religions, but the, the three main ones are Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. We're going to deal with that now. So Abraham is going to instruct his kids. Now, where does Islam and Judaism come along? Well, Abraham was old and he didn't have a child yet. And so his wife suggested, did you want to go in with my handmaid? Um, which, which is the concept behind the handmaid's tale. If you, anybody watched that on Hulu, um, that's where that kind of concept comes in at. You know, people did a lot of things in the ancient world, even those who were following God like Abraham, but that doesn't mean God sanctioned it, just, just so you know. But at any rate, he went ahead and he did it. And you, you know God didn't sanction it because it turned into a mess which we're paying for to this very, that's why the entire world is paying for that mess to this very single day. Um, 
because Abraham, uh, he made a mistake. That's what he did. All right. Having said that, so you've got, so let's trace back now and see where these, how these religions differ and why Christianity as opposed to the other two is the one we need to be following. So let's go back to Abraham. And so he goes into his, his, his uh, maid, his handmaid, uh, Hagar, and has a child with, with her. And that child's name was Ishmael. And then later on, after he makes the mistake and everything, and there's conflict between the two women, because you can't have two women in the same house, right? And so now there's a conflict between those two individuals. And uh, Sarah persecutes her really bad, and then eventually, when the child grows up, she sees her son mocking her son, and then it creates another conflict, and um, eventually Abraham has to put her out uh, altogether. And, and this is coming through the Hebrew Bible. So if you read the Quran, you might get a different story, but let's just deal with the Hebrew uh, Bible uh, aspect. And then maybe another day I'll go back and we'll deal with Islam um, at another at a later time. But for the sake of interest of time, I just want to keep it moving right now. And so I want to be able to do that and then we'll get back to, um, like I said, Islam and we'll compare and do a comparison contrast thing on that as well. So that we can people can see why um, Islam as a, uh, Christianity as opposed to Islam is the way to go. But we'll get back to that in a minute. So later on in the story, uh, God waits until they're too old. They're past, both of them are past a childbearing age. I think Abraham was 100 and his wife Sarah must have been like 99. Well, that, you know, that age, you're not having any babies. Because God wanted to do this thing miraculously because the, 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 the child was supposed to be a type of Christ, so to speak, or, or a shadow of what Christ was supposed to be, a miraculous birth. And of course, we know Christ's birth was way more miraculous than, than anybody else's. But that's, we'll table that for another time. So, Isaac is born. That's the seed. And even in Galatians, it talks about the conflict between the, the flesh and the spirit. One was the work of the flesh, where Abraham made his own decision apart from God. And then the work of the spirit is the one that God wanted. So you always have, see, it always comes down to two, flesh and spirit. Uh, city of God, city of man. The, 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 the wide road or the narrow road. Two houses, one on, on a, built on a rock, one built on the sand. It always comes down to two, well, however you want to slice it. It's, it's these two threads that are banging and clashing, going all the way through Scripture. And so obviously, because one is born out of the flesh, he despises the one that's born out of the spirit. The two can't get along. Ishmael and Isaac are butting heads. They, they don't get it. So the, the hatred between their mothers, or the enmity between the mothers... That enmity is passed on between to the children. And I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. The serpent seed and the seed of the woman. Enmity. And so here you got enmity between these two women and then the enmity is passed on to their children. Hagar is cast out by Abraham. She goes into the wilderness and she's about to die. And she puts the child down by some bushes and she goes away. 
because she, you know, no mother wants to watch her son die. And then the angel speaks to her from heaven and tells her to go back, you know, uh, to, to Sarah and submit to her. And he gives the water, water comes up from the ground for the child. So she's able to keep the child alive and God performs a miracle on her behalf. Why? Because God keeps his covenant. And he made a covenant with Abraham about his offspring. And he said, 12 princes will come out of Ishmael and they're going to be wealthy. Well, we look at the Arab states today, Qatar and some of these nations, that the people there live in terms relatively comfortable because of the wealth of that, those particular nations. Um, can't speak for all of them, but I know like some of the like Kuwait, Qatar, and some of the smaller ones, um, they have a way of, of uh, making sure that their populations are well taken care of. So, but then you got the Saudis and you got others. So in these Arab states, so true to, true to prophecy, that's one of the reasons why they're wealthy, because God keeps his word. God cannot lie. And he blessed Abraham, and therefore, those blessings go down to all his children. Okay? doesn't, without, without any prejudice, God may reign upon the just and on the unjust, equally across the board. Now, in Islam, the story's a little bit different, you know, and the water comes up from the ground, and then, you know, the, 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 the messianic line or the line of the, that God chose was Ishmael. If you read the Quran, Ishmael was a chosen one. If you read the Old Testament or the Pentateuch, in that one, uh, Isaac is the, is the chosen one. So now it's just a matter of which whose version of the story is correct. But you know, you depends on who you talk to. Everybody writes the story, say they win, right? So I I get that. I know that's what some of you are thinking, and and you're not wrong in thinking that way. Uh, but I have some other reasons why I think and I believe that the line comes through Isaac, and that's where I'm going to head now. I'm going to continue to go through Isaac. And like I said, another day we'll deal with Ishmael in more in depth and then hopefully can answer some of those questions like why Isaac is why is the Isaac version of the story the correct one and not Ishmael's version of the story the correct one. Okay, so let's go through Isaac. Now this is so now you got Judaism because Ishmael the descendants of Ishmael become Islam. Just in case you're wondering where I'm going with this. So this is where Islam that's the thread through which Islam comes through. And then then you have uh, Judaism and Christianity coming out through Isaac. Okay, that's where the, the, the monotheistic religions diverge from, from each other. And I believe on the Islamic side, that was one of the ways of the devil t taking the story of the one true God and corrupting it. Although they would tell us the Christians are the corrupt version. And they're not 100% wrong because there's a lot of corruption that's crept into Christianity today as well. But we're going to take a look at that. And then hopefully at the end, we'll try to clarify what biblical Christianity actually looks like. So now Isaac goes along and he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob means liar, thief, supplanter, um, scoundrel, whatever you want to call it. And the story goes, Jacob, Esau was hungry one day. His brother was hungry. And, you know, he was a mighty hunter. So he was a man's man. And of course, the father favored him. And Jacob appears in the story. He seems more like a mama's boy. And so the mother kind of favored him. So already you got tension between the parents on which child they, they favor the most. So Esau goes out and he hunts. And he gets some, you know, and he would get venison and stuff of that nature. So one day Esau was out. For whatever reason, he was hungry. He was hungry. And he sees his brother uh, Jacob and says, "You know, I'll trade you. You give me some of your food, some of your food, Jacob, 
And in exchange, Jacob says, well, I'll tell you what, give me your birthright and I'll give you something to eat. And so the trade was made. So he beat him for his birthright. Then later on in the story, when Isaac is dying, as fathers do in those days, is he pronounces a blessing on their children. Okay, so he wanted to lay hands on Esau. He said, but Esau, before you do it, you know, give me some of that venison and cook it up real nice for me. And when you come back, I'll give you the blessing. So Jacob's getting ready to bless the oldest son, right? Because that's his favorite. Mom overhears it and thinks, no, Jacob is the favorite one. And then she goes back and she tells Jacob, you know, he put on some hairy clothes because by this time, Isaac's eyes are, I, I mean, Jacob's eyes are dim. He can't see that well. So she said, okay, put on some hairy clothes, you know, uh, something that has fur on it or whatever, because uh, Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth. He didn't have a lot of hair, uh, chest hair, body hair, right? And then uh, she cooked the venison just because the wife knows how the husband likes it. So she hooked it up and sends Jacob in there to receive the blessing. And then when he receives the blessing, right after he leaves, his brother comes in and says, you know, okay, I have got that. I got everything you want, dad. And then the, the father realizes he's, he's been tricked, hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray. And so what happens? He says, well, I got nothing left for you, son. Your brother came and took it, you know, and stole it from me. Well, guess what? Now there's enmity between Jacob and Esau. Now they got beef, right? Rightfully so. Now you say to yourself, later on in, in, in Romans, God says, Jacob, I have love, Esau, have I hated. And that seems kind of cold, you know. And God says, I'll have mercy in whom I will have mercy. So remember they were in the womb and they were, they were wrestling in the room for, for dominance and supremacy, even in the mother's womb. And the mother said, what is this? And God said, two nations are struggling within you. But the, the, the older one will serve the younger one. And when he came out, Esau came out first, but Jacob was on his heel, crushing the head. There's the head and the heel again. There's that heel thing going on again, right? That seems to kind of pop up here and there. Only in this case, it was Jacob holding on to the heel of his brother. So he wasn't crushed by it, but he was holding on to it. Okay, so he comes out. So now there's, there's conflict between these two. Now, one of the things the Bible kind of gives us a hint it calls Jake Esau a vain person. And he was a vain person because he sold his birthright for a piece of food, for some food. He allowed his flesh, his lower nature, to dominate him. And he sold out just so he could get something to eat. And his brother, even though he stole it, it wasn't right. That was not the way. He would have got the birthright and everything anyway because God said he was going to have it. But he didn't have to do it by hook or crook. Granted, he, he stole it. It's it, it straight up. It was, he's just straight up thief. But having said that, one thing, even though his actions was thievery, Jacob valued the things of God. He valued the birthright and he valued the blessings of God. He knew that he, I don't need nothing else in this life. Those two things I got to have. See, Esau was a self-sufficient man. I can hunt, I can do all this stuff. I don't need nobody. I can take care, I can handle business myself. And that's what happens with the strong. They get confident and believe in their own strength and in their own power, as opposed to Jacob, who evidently didn't have strength and did not have the strength of his brother, but he said, well, okay, I'll rely on cunning. 
And it worked for him for a while, but believe me, he didn't, God did not let him get away with it. He paid for it. And if you read the rest of the story of, of, of Esau and Jacob, and you know, you find that all the way down going through Genesis, after Genesis 12, and then you get Abraham and then and Isaac, then you get down into Esau and, and Jacob. Just keep reading all the way through and you'll, you'll, you'll run up on it. Or I think it goes right up to like the 32nd, 33rd chapter of, of, um, of Genesis. From about, uh, yeah, from 12 to about 32. And you have that whole family drama going on there. Now, Esau, eventually they kind of reckon, they have a reconciliation moment where God deals with Jacob for his craziness and transforms him from Jacob and, and says, you no longer be called Jacob, you should now be called Israel because as a prince you have power with God and with man. And the first test of whether he had power with God and with man is he had to go meet his brother. And he was still scared. He sent the women and children first and he sent gifts to try to soften his brother up. And when they saw each other, they, they, they fell on each other's neck and they wept and they cried and they reconciled. Okay. But the birthright and the blessings fall on Jacob. So that's why we're going to follow the line of Jacob all the way through. Esau, however, interestingly enough, Esau marries into Ishmael. See, so you got the two threads again. Jacob and Esau, and before that, you got Isaac and Ishmael. Esau and Ishmael joined forces, and then Isaac, uh, Isaac and Jacob it just continues on. Okay, so you got those two threads. And then Jacob finally learned to do things God's way, but at least he valued the things of God, and, J and Esau just didn't. He was a vain person. So God has chosen, said that he's, he chose Isaac, and then he went ahead and he chose uh, Jacob, where the true teachings of the one true God are going to come through. Doesn't mean the other groups didn't have it. But for whatever reasons, because of the conflict, they just kind of wrote their own version of the story as to what happened. And eventually they, they land on Muhammad. But again, that's a, that's a whole other uh, study in itself. Which, like I said, I'm going to just follow this one thread all the way through here for, for the moment. Now, throughout the centuries, throughout the time, God establishes a nation. He tells Abraham in a, in a vision, he says, you know, your people are going to spend 400 plus years down here in Egypt. And after a certain time, I'm going to bring them out and I'll establish them as a nation in the land, etc., etc. Okay. But now the enemy, the devil still at work he can't he tries to curse for example at one point he tried to curse israel and they went and they hired this prophet by the name of balaam and he said listen you know we'll pay you x amount of dollars oh whatever they paid you in those days they didn't have dollars whatever they paid you in those days and just curse israel and this was a prophet evidently he must have had the power to do that and so he goes out to curse Israel, but whenever he tried to curse Israel, only blessings would come out, no curses. And then finally he had to go back and tell the people who hired him, listen, God has, whom God blessed, no one can curse. These people are blessed of God and I can't curse them. I can't take the power of God that God has given to me and now use it against his own people. It don't work like that. I can't do it. And uh, Balaam was a corrupt guy. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was a corrupt prophet. He was a prophet, but he was corrupt. And he thought he'd make himself some money on the side, you know, by cursing people, people's enemies. Well, in this case, he couldn't do it. 
But then he tells the he tells the the enemies of Israel. He said, "However, I can't curse them, but I know how you can I know how you can beat them, how you can weaken them." And he and then basically the way to beat them was that they're under the covenant of God. If you get them to violate the covenant, then God will judge them, and you'll be able to defeat and to beat them. But the way you do that is to have your daughters marry your daughters to their sons. And this is mixing. Now, the Bible does not prohibit interracial marriage or marrying across nationality lines. It does not forbid that. The only reason why Israel was forbidden to do that was for spiritual reasons. It had nothing to do with ethnicity. So let's just debunk that myth right there. But the issue was, was to do with spirituality. It wasn't, nationality was not the point. If we're worshiping the one true God, if I'm worshiping the one true God and my wife is worshiping many gods or false gods or demons or has a different worldview than me, what kind of confusion are these kids going to receive in the house? We're both teaching them two different things. Well, who's right? Who's wrong? And you're going to have a house divided. And a house divided against itself, what? Can't stand. That's not going to work. So that's why God told them that. And you see that Foreigners and strangers did marry into the, into the Jewish nation, but they renounced their gods and accepted the God of Israel. Then it wasn't a problem. Uh, but Balaam very, very shrewdly told them, listen, just get them to intermarry and make sure your daughters and your, or, or vice versa, the son marries a Jewish daughter. And if you can mix the two together and then make sure obviously they're going to bring their religion and their faith and their own worldview and the beliefs so now you've got two competing worldviews in the same house and depending on which one of the two whether the woman is dominant or the man is dominant depends on how that works out or it may not work out at all they're both alpha so then the, it, it, it destroys the marriage and the kids grow up confused and then the brothers and sisters are at each other or they just reject it altogether and say, this is all a bunch of uh, uh, nonsense. And then they just walk away from any faith at all and just outright become atheists. So, but that's what the enemy does. He corrupts it. And so by the time Christ comes, um, and like I said, go to the scriptures, you know, you, you, can, you can look these things up. Um, I'm just moving along, just trying to keep the podcast going. And, but you can definitely go back and you can go to, to Matthew's gospel, read it through. And I think I'm kind of glad I'm doing it this way because I want you to take some of the initiative and get into it yourself and say, well, where can I find that at? And then look it up. You can you can either Google it or you can get yourself a good strong concordance, which I suggested that you do in one of the studies, or things I did on how to study the Bible. But in the gospels, you have the story of... Um, of Jesus going to the fig tree, at least about the 21st, the 20th or 21st chapter of Matthew. He goes to the fig tree to get some fruit on it. And he finds no fruit on it, and then he curses that fig tree. And he says, hence more, let no more fruit be upon you. The next day they come back, and that same, the disciples notice that same fig tree is dead. It's withered and died. That, the fig tree in the Bible speaks of the nation of Israel. Now, let's, let's look at the fig tree. The fig tree, one of the unique things about a fig tree is that before the, in, in a lot of fruit trees, the fruit comes first and then the leaves. But the fig tree is the reverse. It's the leaves first and then the figs. So the, 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 the leaves on the tree represent the religious trappings. 
the rituals, the, 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 the laws. Israel was, had the rituals down. You know, the temple, the Passover, they were meeting all the feast requirements, they were meeting the requirements for the sacrifices. They had all the religious trappings down. Just like many churches today have all the religious trappings down. They got the robes and everything. But when he came to find fruit, which is the fruit of the spirit, when he came to find spiritual life on the fig tree, he found nothing. And so, and so that's why he did that. It was a sign to the nation of how he felt about the nation of Israel. Yeah, I see you got the temple here and you got all the religious trappings and you got the Pharisees with the law and this and that. You got all this. Yeah, you look good. But now I'm looking for some fruit and I can't find any fruit here. So he curses the fig tree. And then you see he launches into a tirade in, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, you, for, because you, for pretense you make long prayers and you devour widows' houses. And so they had one, they were, the, the religious system had become corrupt. You see this in Ezekiel's vision when he sees a hole in the wall and he's looking at the, and he's looking at the, uh, inside the temple. And inside the temple, you see every un, any, all kind of unclean animals, unclean birds and fowls and creeping things. And there was uncleanliness in the house of God. Unclean spirits, unclean teachings, unclean philosophies were all in the house of God. And that's, when Jesus, that's why Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, there will be not one stone left here upon another. 70 AD, the temple of Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD by the, by the Romans. And the nation was scattered and it hadn't come back till 1948. And this is only a partial return. They still have yet to come back to God in, in earnest, which they will in time. God's working on that. But in the meantime, uh, Jesus said, you will not see, you know, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord because of the rejection of Christ. So the enemy came into the nation of Judaism and he corrupted it. Again, I'm giving you a condensed overview. I'm going to go back in and fill in more blanks later. But I just want to get you a good sense of an overview of where we're headed with this. And you can see where the, the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of, of, the, uh, of the serpent have been battling all the way through human history. Now let's go into Christianity. So Christ comes along and he establishes the church. He establishes the church because God has now, I think if you go into Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, it talks about God cutting off Israel so the time of the Gentiles would come in and that was the time that God establishes the church. So, but in order to do that, he cuts Israel off for a period of time, not forever, but just for, for, a, for a short span of time. And then he'll swing back around and deal with them. But right now it's the church age. And that's where Christianity comes in. And now, the enemy from day one has sought to corrupt the church. That's when he says he goes out to wage war with the woman and her seed. Her seed, that being the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers is what the enemy targets. And this is where 
this podcast really wants to go on. But I had to give all that background to give you a sense that this thread has been has been constant. It's not new. And that's what I want you to see. It is, this stuff is not new. It's been happening. And that's why we can predict pretty much where it's headed. Because it's been done before. We've seen the movie already. Been there, done that, did it. It's just being regurgitated. But because people are not theologically trained or biblically illiterate and not properly trained in the scriptures to understand, uh, then people are just easily fooled. And you will see that the majority of the churches today in this country, sad to say, have some level of corruption, some more than others. Um, But it's there. It's there. And it seems like sometimes it seems like there's literally nowhere you can go where you don't see some form of that corruption. But that's to be expected because Jesus said the tares were planted among the wheat. He said, let the tares and the wheat grow together. So I'm not suggesting we uproot it. I'm not suggesting you run out the door of your church, per se. Um, there is a level where the, I believe there's a cutoff where you've got to say, okay, that's just that's a bridge too far. i got to get out of here. I kind of get that. But for the most part, there's always going to be some a little bit of corruption no matter where you go. And But what we do is we do the best that we can, right? And try to get as close to the biblical pattern as possible. And there are some good churches out here that are doing that. I happen to belong to one myself. A church that's, uh, that's biblical. So, again, you know, uh, but I just want you to be aware that these things are happening so that you can spot them when you see it. And you say, okay, I'm not falling for that. You can't stop what other people do, but you can stop what you do once you've been informed and properly understand what's going on. So in the Christian faith, so from day one, the, the, the first test that the church had of, of corruption, the first test that they had was, uh, for lack of a better term, they call them the Judaizers. Because they were coming along in the book of Galatians, Paul deals with it. They were coming along and saying, listen, if you really want to be saved. um, Well, let me back up a little bit further first. First, what happened was not only were Jews, at first only Jews were getting saved. Or, you know, Jews or Jewish proselytes, people that had been scattered throughout the end, out from the diaspora. um, Who came home during the Passover. Uh, in the 50 days of Pentecost and the Feast of Pentecost, when they came home, that's when the, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other languages. And through that, people from around the empire who were of Jewish descent or who were Jews heard the, heard the wonderful words of God in their own languages and they got saved. So it was a, lot, it was a church that just began out uh, with a lot of Jewish believers. Well, later on, some Gentiles get saved. And when the Gentiles get saved, they're like, hmm, what are we supposed to do? Because in Jewish custom at that time, you couldn't even enter into the house of a Gentile, let alone lead one to Jesus. And they said, what do we do with this? And so when the Gentiles started getting saved, they brought them up to the apostle, I believe it was Peter, and some other, the other apostles who were with him. They brought them up to the, to the they had the first church council, the council of Jerusalem. And they said, what are we going to do with these Gentile believers? Because God gave them the Holy Ghost, just like he gave it to us. We got baptized in the Holy Spirit. These guys got baptized in the Holy Spirit. The evidence of speaking in other tongues. And they're Gentiles. So what do we do with these people? And they were like, okay. And then they go back and forth. And then eventually, 
the apostle said, well, let's not put anything on. We're not going to put the Jewish law on them or the Abrahamic covenant because they're not under the Abrahamic covenant. That's a whole different dynamic going on there. What we're going to do is we're going to say to them, listen, you guys, don't eat meat, you know, sacrifice to idols and meat with blood in it. You know, anything, you know, that was, and that was it. That was it. Other than that, they were just free to be Gentiles. And let me stop here and say, this is why Christianity can go global. Because it's not tied to any culture. Christianity had to be freed from Judaism. Had it become another Jewish sect. And I did this in, uh, if you go back to two of my podcasts, The Elephant in the Room Part 1 and 2, I deal with why Christianity had to break out and not be tied to any one particular culture. No culture owns it. It's not a white man's religion. It's not a European religion. It's not an African religion. It's, it's, it's a religion. It's, it's, it's something that belongs to the whole world. Go back to Genesis 12, 1 and 2. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is something for all nations. Christianity is to be in all nations of faith. Which means, if you're an African, you don't have to stop being an African to be a Christian. You don't have to stop being uh, 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 Swedish to be a Christian. You, whatever, whatever your dress is and some of your customs are, so long as they aren't sinful, you can continue to practice them. Whatever you, you're practicing in Africa, so long as it doesn't violate scripture, you can practice it. The works of the devil is in every culture. So we, we obviously, we're going to put those things away. We're not going to do those anymore. And that's in every culture. It doesn't do with just Africa or wherever. It has to do with, it's global. And so whenever there are things in our culture that are antithetical, that go against scripture, then the Bible wins and that thing from our culture is removed. Okay. But anything that's not antithetical to scripture or a violation of the laws of God, we can actually, the, the, the Bible will actually enhance it and make it better. And bring it into a stronger focus. And you can practice those things. So you can eat whatever foods you, you're accustomed to eating. You can, you can have the, the foods and the drinks that you're accustomed to drinking. So long as it's not sinful, like I said. And you're good to go. I don't have to dress like a Westerner to be a Christian. If you live in China, however you dress in China. Wherever you dress in your village. However you, you dress. You, you, know, you don't have to put on a suit and tie. You know, If you're living in a village where they have a loincloth on. And, and that's it then that's, that's, what you, that's what you do. You stay right. You don't have to do it, put on a suit and tie, and et cetera, and, and reject that in order to be Christian. So in that sense, the apostles freed Christianity from, from any particular culture so that nobody could own it, and it could spread globally to everybody. Uh, and, and what God is going to do is bring the nations together and form a new society and a new culture, and it will have its own cultural flavor to it. And it'll reflect kingdom principles as opposed to worldly principles. And we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about that at the end when we went from Augustine's City of God. He talks about the two cities that exist. And Abraham, by the way, was rich. He had plenty of money. But he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. How about that? He lived in tents. I'm like, this guy is wealthy. He could have moved to Sodom and Gomorrah and had the penthouse and had he'd been living real good. But he stayed away from the city and he stayed out there in tents. Why? Because he's looking for, he, that's not the city I want to live in. I want to live in a city who, who, whose builder and maker is God. Now the holy city, the new Jerusalem that God is building is the church. That's what he's building. And that's the place that we're going to be dwelling. So we're waiting for the new Jerusalem. And so that's why as a Christian, I have no allegiance. No allegiance to any culture or any nation 
above my allegiance to Christ. Yes, I'm an American citizen, and if my country calls me to do to do duty for my country, I will do it. That's not a sin. You, that's fine. You, it's okay to be patriotic. But when my country and God disagree, I take God's side. That's what I'm trying to say. You always obey God rather than man. And it doesn't matter if it's the government or anything else. You obey God. Just make sure it really is God. Because a lot of fools are running around. I'm obeying God. And it ain't God. And they get in unnecessary trouble with the government. So I'm not advocating uh, defiance of governments. But I am advocating that you put God first. Because that's our citizenship is in heaven. We sort of have a dual citizenship. Yes, we're here on earth. But my citizenship in heaven exceeds my citizenship here on earth. Because the one on earth is temporary. That's going to end. The one in heaven will never end. That's eternal. And that's the one that I, that I stand up for and stick up for. Uh, I love America, but saving America is, is not God's priority. God's priority is advancing his own ends and his own kingdom in the earth. Uh, which may or may not include the United States. I don't know. Do I participate politically? Yes, I do. I vote. I do all of that. I'm not telling anybody who to vote for. Vote whoever you want. Uh, whichever side makes you move. I don't condemn anybody for voting as a Democrat. I don't condemn anybody for voting as a Republican. We're all just doing the best that we can with the information that we have. And there's, and, and there's lies on both sides. So, And none, no side is better and more righteous than the other one. That's a lie. And if you believe that, then you know I got a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you. But we just do the best that we can with the information that we have. But at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is what matters. All right, so there's my little tirade there for the day. But having said that, as believers and as Christians, um, our allegiance is to heaven. That's where our allegiance lies, to the kingdom of God and advancing God's cause in the earth. That's where our prior priorities lie. And so we're not bound by culture, we're not bound by nationality, we're not bound by anything except the kingdom of God. And that's where I decide I come down on every single time. Having said that, there are philosophies and there are teachings that have infiltrated the church that the enemy has used. And again, it's the same old bag of tricks. And we're going to, the next podcast, we're going we're gonna to delve into some of those because now we're up to Christianity, which is where I wanted to get us to. Uh, so I just kind of fast-tracked us there. And if I seem to have lost you on some other points, hang in there. We're going we're gonna to revisit some of this stuff and uh, a little bit more in detail. Having said that, word of faith, is a aberration, is a distortion of the Christian life, of Christianity. God wants you rich and other enticing doctrines that they throw out there. Um, that's not of God. Again, what else is not of God? The New Apostolic Reformation, which we're going to deal with that here in, in as well coming up. That's one main one we're going to be looking at today. But there are others. But the, the, the natural progression from word of faith is NAR. That's a natural, so it fits right into that milieu. And we were going over some of the reasons why those things are not biblical and not from God. Uh, speaking things into existence, uh, blabbing and grabbing, naming and claiming. Um, those things are not biblical. Uh, and, and the proof of it, you could go to the book, The Secret, and you read The Secret, which is a secular book, 
and then you read the word of faith, which is supposed to be Christian, and they're pretty much identical, except the one secular one doesn't mention Christ. It mentions that you you create your own reality. You by you you draw things you draw uh, things to yourself. So if you're thinking about if you're fearful of rape, then you're gonna get raped, and then this, it becomes a rapist's fault because she was thinking about it, and had she changed her thinking, it it, it couldn't happen. Okay, so, but this law of attraction, and you attract what you you know what you think about, and that's the same thing with word of faith. It's no different. You know, and you, you, by your confession and what you say, you speak words into the universe and you create your own reality by speaking uh, your own reality. That is not a Christian worldview. It is not a biblical worldview. It is, it is a distortion of Christianity. And of course, naturally, if I, have, if I have that kind of power to create with my words, then eventually you go to NAR and you can take those same words and that same creative power that you have since God can't do anything unless man, he does it through a man. So now we're God's people on earth. And so now we can create the reality on earth that we want. Well, guess what? Now the next thing to do, obviously, in, in progression is to create a national or universal Christianity, right? Well, let's take over the earth then. Since we have that kind of power and God, we can, we can speak these things into existence and make the world 100% Christianity and we can have a theocracy. That's the only logical conclusion you can come to with some of this stuff. But there are various philosophies and everything else. And like I said, that's why I gave you the five worldviews. We're going to look at the hum of those five worldviews and how they've crept into the church and into the teachings of the church and how we got here where we are right now. Um, and we're going to look at it from a theological perspective and yes, even how that affects our political system. And at that point, I have been going through this book called Phoenix Rising and she, uh, uh, Kathleen Galt and she has some great information. She's done some excellent research on some of these threads that are running through our nation and probably, and almost practically speaking, through all nations, not just us, where you have two competing philosophies. Yes, that we have the Judeo-Christian belief system that influenced our government, but then we also have some pagan things that have influenced our system and the two have been clashing and now we have a blend of both so you almost can't tell one from the other and so when people say oh this is christian you, you might want to rethink that it may not be christian it may be some of that pagan thing that's mixed with christianity so the outer shell looks like christianity but when you break it open you see it's not christian at all there's nothing to it so we have all the religious trappings now well, we have the leaves on the tree now, and we got all the religious trappings, but when you look underneath the leaves and you look for fruit, there's nothing there but thin air. And like I said, we're going to be dealing with some of those things uh, coming up, but I'm just laying some ground. This is just laying a little bit of groundwork, and I know I'm fast-tracking it, but that's so we can get to the main point. The next two weeks, we're going to, we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper. Uh, we're going to look at some of the church councils and the, with the early church fathers, and see how the devil tried to sneak things into the church. Because the, the first century Christians, the second century Christians had to defend the faith. Remember now, the apostles are gone. So once the apostles are gone, the enemy is going to really turn it up. Because there's nobody there to check him, right? Because the apostles are gone. See, the devil plays a long game. He says, I'll just wait for these guys to die. Because they can't live forever. And then when they die, then I'll confuse, I'll, I can move in and confuse the rest of the people. And then... Nobody will know what the truth is anymore, and then that'll be the end of that. But 
what he doesn't count on is the work of the Holy Spirit to keep the church, the truth going. And uh, the Holy Spirit has the ability to reveal the truth, etc. It's a different individual. So we're going to look at the church councils and some of the attacks upon the church that came on early on. And then we're going to follow that thread all the way through to where we are now. And then on the final podcast, we'll look at some of the threads, some of those same threads that came in through uh, the establishing of, of our own U.S. government here. And like I said, I love my nation. I thank God for it, but it's just not perfect. And we've got to learn how to sift things out, to separate wheat from chaff. And what, because people are biblically illiterate and don't have a good hermeneutic, I like this guy, uh, Corey Miner, he makes a very good point. He says you've got to have a good biblical hermeneutic. And if you don't have that, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to be all over the map with a, and you're going to with a whole lot of nonsense. Um... At least when you have a good hermeneutic, and there are slightly diff slight differences in hermeneutics, but one thing I can say that they all have in common is that we're all inside the ballpark. We're not out somewhere in, in the ether ways in outer space somewhere. And uh, some of the discrepancies might be are minor, they're not salvation issues, but on the major points, there's 100% agreement. So keep that in mind. And uh, again, we will be looking more into dealing with some of the things that have infiltrated the church as well. And so I've mentioned Word of Faith. I mentioned uh, New Apostolic Reformation. All this so-called research of apostles and prophets, that's really problematic. And I think to me, those, I really want to deal with that a little bit more because that's the scariest thing to me because I see the church just going in a completely different direction. And... Um, heresies will abound and falsehoods will abound and it's going to have a lot of nonsense and so those are just two of those things that have crept into the church other things that you've seen before when i was growing up you had these so-called healing healing meetings and they were healing evangelists and running around saying that they're healing people and they're raising the dead but you know upon further investigation Practically none of it is happening. The, the few times that it actually did happen, that was just a, 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 the sovereignty of God at work because at that particular time, God may have wanted to heal that person or didn't want that person dead at that particular time. So God is able to do that. But uh, I like what one uh, preacher said, Winky Pratt, and he says, when miracles become the rule, natural law becomes the exception. And by miracle, this is how I define miracle. That's another thing. We're going to learn how to define our terms. What do you mean? Before you start talking, you got to define your terms. So here's what I mean by a miracle. is when God suspends natural law. Natural law says this happens, your bones should be broken. And perhaps you should die. But God suspends it and says the bones being broken, they're not broken. Because God suspended natural law. That's divine prerogative. That's the power of God. He can do that. But he's the only one who can do that. You can't do that. I can't do that. Nobody else can do that. And then based on that, so but now if God just goes around willy-nilly suspending natural law, then if the natural laws are tampered with, then what happens is they become the exception and not the rule. And when, when natural law becomes the exception, natural law is what makes your car start. There's science there. It says if you do these, put these two things together in combination, turn the key, car will start. But if you suspend, there's no natural law, it might work this time, but then again, it might not work the next time. 
Because, and then when, when it doesn't work, how can the repairman repair it? How can he troubleshoot if, if there's no natural law? I can't troubleshoot the problem because I don't know. It worked last time and it should work every time, but that's what, it's, that's what it's saying, but it ain't working every time. So God performs miracles and we're going to do a whole podcast on miracles and to the why, because I believe in miracles. I believe God works. I told you I'm not a cessationist. I believe God works miracles and God works wonders in the earth today still. I'm 100% on board with that. But again, I will not subscribe to what I call the dog and pony show complete with dancing bear and clown car. I will not participate in that or endorse it. And we're going to look at that. I'm going to explain to you the difference between the genuine article and then the dog and pony show and the, and the fake. Because these people go around the globe, prey on poor people and take all their money. And these people don't get any richer. They don't get healed. And they live a miserable life and they die even more miserable because they've been lied to. And said, and somebody told them God was going to do something that God did not sell them he was going to do. And they said, I sold a bill of goods. And they believed the lie. Um, and and the, the amount of damage this stuff does to people. I, I'm tired of watching people, God's people get hurt by con artists and shysters and crooks who come into the house of God under the pretext of being a blessing, under the pretext of being prophetic, and lie to God's people, give them false hope, and nothing happens, and the person dies, they don't get any better. All the things that they kept promising you, you don't get any richer. The only person I see getting richer is the guy telling you how to get rich, but everybody else on below that isn't getting rich. And you say, well, I know a couple people, yeah, that's the problem. It's, it, it should work for everybody all the time, but it doesn't. Only a couple people luck up and, you know, and get, get some type of wealth. And, it, and they believe it had to do with the man of God. I gave money to the man of God. Well, so did everybody else. So how come when you gave money to the man of God, you prospered? The other person gave, in some ways, if you're going on a percentage basis, may have given even more, and they didn't prosper. They ended up getting evicted, put out their house. Credit card debt went up too high because the man of God allegedly said, use your credit card and God going to bless you. And they bought it. Right? Because who doesn't want to be blessed? And the bills come due. And the miracle that they thought was going to happen didn't happen. We're going to cover all of that. And what I hopefully this podcast will call us back to biblical Christianity. Move away from the nonsense and the foolishness. And to get back into the word of God. And start living out our Christian life. In a meaningful and practical way. So the world can actually see the real deal. That's true revival. That's what true revival is. When we get back to doing it the, the way God's way, the way God has prescribed, and move away from these various worldviews and things that have infected the church and have caused people to turn away and to fall. summarize what we've done so far and I know this was quick and I didn't delve into as much of the scriptures and stuff that I'd like to have had but again we will be doing that we're going to revisit some of this but I just wanted to give you a quick summation or overview of what we're going to be looking at kind of what your appetite gets you thinking 
and maybe you want to go back and do some some more reading and studying on your own also vet everything i say please do not just simply say it because i say it you should never accept anything anybody says just because of who said it or who didn't say it check it out for yourself be a berean i encourage everybody to vet your own stuff be a berean check it out i don't mind if you vet me if you got any questions or comments rhyd1 2001 at com. it's okay um we're all learning and i'm just trying to create conversations so hopefully i Put out enough things to create an appetite to say, well, wait a minute, let me step back here and look at this again for the second time. Is everybody going to change who hears this podcast? No, I'll probably offend a lot of people and some people may even lose some listeners. But that's par for the course. My goal here is to create conversations and to get the ball rolling and, and maybe help us to rethink some things and uh, move closer to the truth of the gospel. We'll rescue some, but we won't rescue all. That That's okay. That's divine prerogative. But I want to encourage you to vet me. I want you to encourage you to read and study on your own. And don't just accept things because somebody says it. So pick up your Bible, get your constant coordinates, get your, uh, your, your, your Unger's Dictionary. And if you don't know anything about hermeneutics, listen to the podcast. I've got two podcasts. And I may do another one on how to study the Bible. One is called How to Sharpen Your Sword. And the other one is with Pastor Chad Mansbridge, who wrote a book. You can get his book, and it will help you, called uh, You Can Handle the Truth. And with a good hermeneutic, you can just, you'll see this stuff for yourself. It just can't be because I say so. I'm just trying to make questions in your mind. So if I stirred some things up and made you question some things, praise the Lord. That's, that was my point. And so that was just a quick, quick overview. Also, in addition to that, I want to recommend that if you go to the Shepherds Conference, 2004 Shepherds Conference, just Google it, 2004 Shepherds Conference, scroll down to where you come to Phil Johnson. I'm going to use some of his, he gave a series on the five heresies that have plagued the church, uh, the 2004 Shepherds Conference, Judaism, Agnosticism, uh, Plagianism, Sabellianism, and Socinianism, and Arian and the Arian heresy. Those are five basic heresies that have plagued the church. I will be using those that as a template for what I'm going to be talking about in the next podcast. So, but I want you to know it did not originate with me. It originated with Phil Johnson, uh, and I'm just sort of putting my a, sort of a, a, a spin on it, not taking anything away from what he said because what he said was awesome. But if I if you don't understand what I'm saying, go back and listen to him. He's right. I'm wrong. And it's okay. Uh, Phil Johnson's good. And the, the way he lays things out is done in an excellent manner. But I'm going to be using that as a template. And I will be adding some other things to it as well. Because even he said it was an overview. There's a lot more he could have said. And so we want you to get that. And that's Phil Johnson, Five Heresies, 2004 Shepherds Conference. By all means, listen to that. And uh, you can get some much better information that I'm giving you here and better organized in this thought. So, by all means. Also, um, but we're going to be coming in and we're going to go into more detail and we're going to do a deeper dive. These last two podcasts were just sort of like a quick overview so you can see that there's a thread running through Scripture all the way down to where we are now. So now we're down here to Christianity. Now we're going to get down to brass tacks in the next uh, podcast and we're going to look at some of these heresies in the early church, what the early church had to fight 
the Apostle Paul says, uh, and he, when he, in his parable address to the elders at Ephesus, he said, take heed to yourselves and to the flock, because after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. And these teachers are going to come in and try to find people, to get people to follow them and take them away from Christ. We're in an age of apostasy right now. And all I'm asking is that we read the Bible for ourselves and get back to the truths of Scripture and stop running behind everything we see on television, everything we hear on the radio, and everything we hear in podcasts, including mine. Go back and study the Word of God. Look it up for yourself and learn for yourself. And ask God to help you, to show you, and to guide you. And he will. It can get a little confusing because early on in my Christian life, well, I had a lot of confusion. I was back and forth with a lot of different things. But in time, I kept at it. And eventually, things started to get clear. It started to clear up for me. And I got a, got a much better understanding. So it's worth the effort and it's worth putting in the work. Okay? So I'm not going to say don't vet me because if you say vet these other people well who am i that i shouldn't be vetted so i'm just a man like everybody else so you vet it all including me and then see which ones come up close closer to the scripture that's not a problem i have no, I have no problem with that so by all means but get into the word of god uh for yourself and that's what this podcast is about stirring you up and making you angry enough to say let me go look up that scripture what is going on here and there are other podcasters out there as well, not just me, who are doing an excellent job. Um, please go back and listen to the podcast I interview, I, a conversation I had with uh, Dawn Hill, the Love Six Scribe. She has her own podcast on YouTube and on Spotify, has a website, and very well organized in her thoughts. And you will learn a lot uh, through uh, from her as well. I highly recommend her podcast that you listen to that. Also... There's a book out called Love Back to Life by Lael Devine. I did a podcast with her, a young uh, Christian, black, and pregnant. A young lady who made a mistake and God has redeemed her from that. And she wrote a book about it to help other young girls who have fallen into that same trap. Highly recommend that podcast, Lael Devine. She's actually starting to do some of her own podcasting. Um, which I recommend uh, that you that you listen to as well. And so it's, I think it's under Brianna Lael. And if you go on, uh, if you just Google that, it'll come up and you'll see some of her, her podcasts as well. Young lady, very godly young lady, loves the Lord. And uh, God had to bring her through a time of recovery, but she's recovered. She, and she wrote a book complete with word, book with questions and answers in the end to help the other young ladies through. Um, where she came through. So they show, so you come out on the right end and not on the wrong end. You know, one thing about youth, youth, we make mistakes, it happens. Everybody in the youth has done something they've regretted. But you know what? God can redeem our, even our mistakes and that's the great God that we serve. And uh, and by mistake, I don't mean having a child. The child is not a mistake. Children are never a mistake. So it's not the child, but it's just the action is what we're referring to. I want to make that clear. And then there's also an uh, interview I did with uh, Val Eliason, a great missionary to the Philippines and now to the LGBTQ community. She has also has a podcast, just type in Val Eliason. Now come up and she, she's done some things on how to witness to the LGBTQ, why the Great Commission is great, etc. And uh, you'll be blessed by her uh, podcast as well. 
in addition to that, you might also want to listen to uh, to get the book by Chad Mansbridge. You, you can't handle the truth. I mentioned that already, uh, but I want to reiterate it again. It's a very it's an excellent book on how to study the Bible and maximize your Bible study, and so that you can get it right and rightly divide the word of truth, not wrongly divide the word of truth. Uh, so you may want to do that as well. And then from, there's another book out from Kickapoo the Cat Mandu by Dave and Pam Lovett. They um, Two great missionaries or apostles, small a, if you want to look at it that way. And they have gone to the countries where there is no gospel preached at all and preaching to these nations. And so highly recommend you listen to their testimony. And we, t we had a nice discussion about uh, reaching the God, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because once I'm done off of this, that's what we're going back to. It's going to be all about missions and evangelism and preaching the gospel and getting out there and and um, you know, getting the uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, and uh, building the church up, etc. So that's where we want to go. But I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, you know, open your mind and your heart. Let God work on you. And if we have been a blessing, then God bless you. And I hope I've helped someone uh, to get out of some of this mess, and to see clearly, and to get a hunger for the Word of God in a way that you haven't had it before. And so these are places that you can go to to uh, to get into the Word of God and to really study it. Uh, and some of, those of my past podcasts as well. That's designed to help you do that. So be blessed. I thank everyone for listening. Thank everybody for taking the time out. I know my podcasts are a little bit long. You know, we're, we're kind of working on that. Um, but in the meantime... Thank you for taking the time out of your your busy day to listen and to put in the effort to hear what I have to say on behalf of the Lord. And may God richly bless you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thank God for your listening and tuning in. God bless until next time.